Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome <clears throat> to the Daily Evolver. It's uh, cold, snowy, November 7th here, Tuesday, 2017, and I am happy to be with you and happy to be here with Corey DeVos. Uh, Corey, you're over at your place and it's, you're keeping warm? Keeping warm, man. Cool. Well, today I wanted to just uh, respond to some of the great questions that I get or in comments. Um, I really love hearing from you. And uh, if you are so inclined with a question or comment, you can send it to me by email at jeff at dailyevolver.com. And you can send me a voice memo and I'll play it on, on, on online maybe or on, on the show. So the first one is a, a voicemail that I got from Michael. And it was regarding the show that we did, I guess, last week on how to talk to Trumpsters. And um, so I'll just play what he had to say. It's about a minute. And then I'll do my best to respond. Um, but I guess I must be influenced by Diane in the sense that I think some of the ways that we should talk about listening to others is also deep listening to our nervous systems getting activated uh, in the conversation with others. And especially when we're trying to speak from emotional place that is not vomiting on people, but just clearly, you know, uh, trying to make a connection emotionally, whether we agree or not. So, you know, uh, I like Diane's language of paying attention to our nervous systems at the same time as we're trying to listen to others, you know, give them the space. And uh, that's one of the things I actually practice when I'm listening to you and Corey or um, at the integral living room, um, that it helps me slow down my reaction from my brain to my mouth. Fair enough. And I really love that question because it really does round out the picture, even using integral theory, which I'll, I'll talk about in a, a minute here. But <clears throat> my, <clears throat> excuse me, my take on how to talk to Trumpsters was to, you know, the bottom line was be willing to be influenced. And that's really a whole different ball game than how skillfully you can influence them. And this and 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 what Mike's talking about, and he's he's quoting Diane Hamilton, who was one of our great integral teachers and one of my dear friends. In fact, we're going to be doing the living room here together at the end of the week, uh, and that she emphasizes that you are, you know, when you're dealing with people who are difficult or that you're finding difficult, to be in touch with your nervous system, and this is actually a quadrant realization. Because um, in the upper left quadrant, that is my interior individual, my, my inside of Jeff, that's the world of my thoughts and my memories. That's the world of the, the voice in my head, the voice in your head. And if you're wondering what voice I'm talking about, it's the voice that is right now saying, what voice? That's it. Uh, but it's, you know, our arguments, our opinions, our perceptions, 
you know, all of the strategies we make and how to get with other people and so forth, that's all in the upper left. That's going on in my mind. But there's also an upper right quadrant. This is the exterior of my Jeffness. And in here is my energy body and my subtle body and the nervous system. And it's, it is absolutely important. I, was, I definitely emphasized the upper left in my response. And this, I think, as I said, really rounds it out. Uh, because this is, um, you know, when we think about how the quadrants, you know, the quadrants basically are a map of, uh, you know, our own individuality. And let, in fact, let me just show you. Uh, if I can do this, I can't seem. Oh, here we go. Oh, I'm. I didn't stop sharing that. I'm sorry. So here I am. Yeah. So let me. I'm going to share again an, another screen here, which I think is helpful. And if you're seeing that, are we seeing it, Corey? The map of the quadrants. We see it. Yeah. So this is one of Ken Wilber's most important uh, contributions to integral theory. And this is basically a map of you or a map of me. And you can see that there are two um, axes. There's the vertical axis that is the, the, separates the collective and the individual. And then there's the interior and the exterior. So again, in the upper left, that's my own interior Jeffness. In my upper right, is my exterior Jeffness. And normally we think of the upper right as being the body. It's the material of Jeff. It's Jeff's behaviors. It's that sort of thing. But it is also um, what we would call our subtle body, uh, which is an energy body that is very much online. And we see as we differentiate these two, because typically, I am Jeff, just a blob of all of these things. And this is where the quadrants and are actually a spiritual practice, because as we separate what is in my interior and my exterior, I begin to see that emotions, for instance, is a, a conglomeration of what I'm thinking and these body sensations that are arising. What I'm thinking in the upper left, what I'm feeling in the upper right. And as I differentiate them, instead of having them just be a gripping blob, I have a liberation. And that is the spiritual potency of, 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 the, um, of the quadrants. And it's why what you're talking about, Michael, really is important. Uh, I also want to just touch on the lower quadrants. The lower left is the interior of the collective. So what's that? That's the culture we live in. And it's whether it's the culture of our marriage or our families, of our community, of our nation, of our global systems, of, of people we are at work or our extended family. There's all these shared agreements, shared values. There's relationships. There's a culture that comes through time. And we want to be aware of that. And that all of these dimensions, and this is one of the keys of integral theory, is that each of these dimensions is irreducible to the others. That is, it has its own ontological reality. And, and then so if we move to the upper, or, I'm sorry, the lower right, 
This is the world of systems, networks, technology, government, the natural environment, the weather, the cosmos. And if we sort of meditate on these four dimensions of our reality, we actually see that they're all online in their own way. And that just as Michael's talking about our own nervous system and being aware of our nervous system and the sort of body energies that are flowing through us at any given time, that we could also see that the lower, the lower right quadrants, that is the exterior of the collective, also has these sort of a collective nervous system. And we can feel it in the culture. It's not just shared thoughts and ideas, although that's part of it too. That's the lower left. But it's also an energetic that, you know, blows through our collective nervous system. And, you know, we can feel it in all kinds of ways. I mean, I don't know how else one explains this sudden arising of victims of sexual abuse who just out of, it seems nowhere a month ago, uh, it's just, it, it, we could feel it, that this is, it's just intolerable now. And that's just a new thing. And it's not just cultural, it's also energetic. Uh, the energy of the Trump movement, it's, it's palpable. And so as we differentiate these four dimensions of our own self, and see that we're embedded in this, this system. We have this cultural agreements. I have my own interior world that nobody else can get. And then I have my body and my energy bodies. Uh, as we um, differentiate these things, as I said, there's a liberation. And then there's an integration. And what we realize as we continue to take, you know, perspectives from all of these different uh, domains of reality, that we stop identifying with any single domain or any single perspective. And we start identifying with the larger space within which perspectives are arising. Okay, so again, just we, uh, our identity is not limited to who we thought we were but it expands to include these other dimensions of reality, many other perspectives in this larger space of consciousness that is, you know, a stage of liberation, another stage of liberation. And we realize as we sort of hang out there, as Whitman said, we inhale great drafts of space. The north and the south are mine, the east and the west are mine. That's a beautiful poem. Uh, that the space has qualities of loving intelligence and that there's a wisdom that comes on online as we are aware of all of these. So I don't want to belabor that, but it's really important. It's such a great question. And, um, you know, it gives me an excuse to talk about quadrant theory. <laughs> you got to be careful with these questions because, you know, for an integral guy, it's like cutting yourself in front of Dracula. <laughs> and Jeff, Steve adds uh, in, in, in the chat, he adds, uh, regarding orange Trump supporters, treat them as if, quote, they might be right. They won't open their minds until they are heard. And I, I, I think that's totally right on. And it speaks to what you're talking about with, you know, I love how you showed us the quadrant graphic because it really speaks to the power and the potency of integral mindfulness. Uh, in terms of the amount of granularity it brings to the liberation of your experience. 
Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and and you know, and as, as you say, we sort of oftentimes, tr- you know, sort of look through each of these quadrants one at a time with more and more familiarity. You just sort of reflexively start doing that, and you start noticing things. Like you know, last week uh, we were talking a lot about you know, in the lower left, you have that zone four, which is sort of the unseen, you know, regulatory aspects of our weeness and an integral mind- mindfulness. I think as you're talking with a Trump supporter will help remind you that at this point in our history, that zone four is very, very inflamed uh, by propaganda and fake news and, you know, legitimately sort of, uh, you know, reactive, provocative real news. Um, And that, you know, that's the water that we're swimming in. So bringing a little bit more of mindful awareness just to that lower left quadrant helps relax things so that you can actually have a more authentic exchange. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You know, that release of the grip into a bigger space and you realize that this bigger space is more loving and wise. That's right. It's just, you know, and I don't know that that ever ends, but that is, you know, sort of the trajectory as we continue to get bigger. That's really what development is. We're able to see and contain more. All right. Second question. Mostly at orange modernity levels um, of development that we don't want to have those apocalyptic, the apocalyptic verbiage that we've been using that really pushes folks away. So I would like to know what is the best way to communicate the urgency to these folks? Like what, what words, what verbiage should we be using? Okay. Um, okay. Hang on. I'm at the stage of uh, conscious incompetence at running the, this thing. So that's progress, but I'm not entirely there. Okay, so, um, yeah, so that's, what a great question. So, you know, what words do we use? How do we uh, really help people see this bigger picture? And it's a great question. It's a question that you get all the time in the integral world. Once people realize that, peop- that you know, we're all evolving creatures, you know, we, the question then is, how can I help? these lesser developed people to develop and you almost can't i mean there's there's it's a little bit you can a bit and i'll get to that in a second but uh it's a little bit like trying to talk a nine-year-old into being a 12-year-old it's just you know first of all you can't and secondly you really just want a nine-year-old to be a healthy nine-year-old and then knowing that Eros is taking care of it, growth, the the sort of the built-in system of growth in the cosmos is taking care of this little nine-year-old growing up. Um, So that is, um, that's part of it. So with with that said, and I think the point of that is, is that we spend a lot of time strategizing, talking other people into our point of view that, and that energy could be used better elsewhere. in a sense, what we really want to do with this climate situation is let's all just become California. You know what I mean? Let's all just make our place be part of the solution and uh, do what we can. Uh, but, you know, make our own life sustainable, make our own community sustainable, uh, support and notice that s- sustainable development is happening at warp speed you know, in terms of uh, energy and solar and all of that good stuff. 
so there's that. And then I, here's where I think we actually can make a difference in terms of how we talk. And, and, and you, you hear uh, people in the integral community, you know, coming up with, you know, how do you talk to somebody who's Amber and you try to be patriotic and use family. And um, so you ask them, we want America to lead the way into new clean energy technologies. Don't we want America to be the leader there? And I don't know. Does that, it feels, it just leaves me a little flat, you know. Don't you want a healthier world for your grandchildren? Well, yes, I do. I just don't believe your trip is, you know, what they're thinking. So I, I never find, you know, that to be all that healthy uh, or helpful. But I do think sometimes we just want to get in there and fight. You know, I don't care whether it's on a comment section or whether it is, uh, you know, with the in-laws at a picnic or whatever it might be, sometimes it's all right to get in there and fight. That's part of how we move, we fight our way forward. So, uh, you know, statistics, uh, you know, if somebody's, particularly if somebody's in a comment section and you can go to Reddit and or these various communities and see these people arguing about the, uh, all the, the statistics and, you know, they have whole different ways of, of seeing the world you know, orange versus green versus amber, and it's ugly, but it's fruitful. And uh, sometimes uh, moving forward is ugly. Uh, the other thing I would say, and, and, and this sort of just came to me this morning as I was contemplating this question, is to relate it to their own environment. You know, I, I talked about how there's a sort of a phase one environmentalism and modernists can get behind it, and, and even traditionalists, that is, don't litter, clean up the rivers, clean, let fish come back to the streams, you know, get rid of the brown cloud over your city. That kind of thing has, you know, people, there's a, a, a great majority who are in favor of that because they can feel it, they can see that that's unhealthy for their kids. The second phase environmentalism is the global environmentalism, and that can only really be appreciated by people who are world-centric and can see the finite system of the world, and that's about 30% in this country. So, um, but if you can relate it, I, I, was, I was thinking that, you know, okay, I know that the, the, the world is, is, uh, is warming. How much warmer is Boulder than it was when I got here 35 years ago? And... You know, I actually couldn't find that statistic. I spent about 15 minutes looking for it, and it's there's not it's not simple. You know, uh, you could see all of these. You know that the the overall the global annual temperatures increase an average rate of 0.07 degrees Celsius since the 1880s, and every, every decade, and 0.17 Celsius per decade since the 70s. And there's things like that, but you know, I think we need some better search results. And, um, you know, uh, it's a, a palpable way of feeling, how is warming affecting my own backyard? That's going to, that's not, that doesn't require a world-centric view to appreciate. So, um, yeah, so something like that. Those are some thoughts on that. Um, right. And also real quick, Jeff, I'd recommend people check out, we have a presentation on Integral Life called uh, Communicating Sustainable Initiatives by Barrett Brown. Oh, cool. Uh, it's, it's several years old, but it's evergreen. In other words, it, it still holds up. 
And, uh, you know, it really speaks to, you know, what Ken's been talking about for years now, which is, you know, first, let's just say skillful means is the easiest phrase to say and one of the hardest uh, practices to actually exercise in real time. You know, it used to be 15 years ago, a politician could speak one way to one group of people and then another way to another group of people. And those two groups of people would never, you know, know what that politician said to each of them. Now, in the information age where everything is recorded, it's even more difficult to thread that needle because if you're going to try amber language for an amber audience, it better not contradict how you talk to the orange audience or to the green audience, which just makes it a whole lot more challenging. Uh, But I think Barrett Brown's presentation helps a lot. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Barrett. So yeah, check it out. All right. The next one is from Jennifer. It's an email. And uh, Corey, you want to read it for us? Yeah, absolutely. Let me. And this is about uh, the the episode we did yesterday on the um, <clears throat> happenings over the weekend in Saudi Arabia, where the crown prince basically uh, imprisoned uh, a, a bunch of the leading people in the in the culture, and um, it, he imprisoned them in the Saint Regis. <laughs> I would just point that out. Uh, <laughs> but. At any rate, sort of an autocratic move in uh, in Saudi Arabia. The upside being that this guy is a modernizer. So, right, go on. Right. So, yeah, Jennifer writes. Uh, I was very glad to hear your positive take today. On my Twitter feed, many are very uneasy about it, especially with Kushner's trip to Saudi Arabia just prior to the purge. Combined with that heavy-handed glowing orb global dominion ceremony Trump had with them on his first visit. It feels gross. If this is one of those evolution is beautiful but ugly up close things, okay. But I sure wish our president wasn't involved. It feels like a dangerous de-evolution back to the 1950s and 60s big oil days. Am I wrong? All right. Well, um, <laughs> I'm going to start with the gross part. Uh, well, I, I'm sympathetic. I mean, everything Trump touches is sullied. <laughs> I mean, I, um, you know, uh, I resent every morning that I have to take Donald Trump seriously, but he is the president. And um, and so aside from that sort of visceral reaction that comes from my green self, it's it's, you know, there's such an allergy to his uh, big daddy thing that comes out of red. And, uh, you know, and all his conservative policies and all that shit. So, um, you know, so I feel that too. Uh, But I try to differentiate that from what good I think he can do. I actually think there's a lot of good that he can do that some other people can't because he's willing to bust things up. So I actually, you know, want to notice that on the positive side of the street. And in this case, um, you know, just to use the example that, you, you you sent Jennifer. Um, this was when Trump went to Saudi Arabia in May 2017. Of course, they had the big posters of him hanging six stories off the building, and it was you know an autocrat's dream. But what he was doing in this picture, and I'll actually show it. It's cool. Um, I'm pulling it up now. I, I got it, I got it because I want to say a couple things about it and even scroll through it here. So. Right. Um, here we go. So here he is, and uh, he's got his hands in his or- this orb. Uh, and this is from the New York Times. And 
And here's, here's what they said about it. A mysterious glowing orb is exerting uncanny power over the world's social media. President Trump, King Salman of Saudi Arabia, this is the father of the, the guy who did the purge over the weekend, and President uh, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi of Egypt entered a darkened room filled with row after row of computers at Rija, the Saudi capital, on Sunday evening. They placed their hands atop a radiant whitish sphere, which illuminated their faces like campfire and kept them there for nearly two minutes. The first lady, Melania Trump, who also briefly touched the object, looked on. So what they were doing is they were opening a center in uh, Saudi Arabia called the Global Center for Combating Extremist Ideology. And after this globe ceremony, they raised the lights and behind them was this team, this, you know, there was 200 techies, separated men and women, and they were all at their computer monitors and they are monitoring the internet for extremists. And um, so that's what was going on there. And this is an example of some things are the right thing to do, even as Donald Trump is doing them. Uh, this is exactly what we want. We've talked about this on a couple different episodes, even recently, about um, what's on schedule in, in Islam is for a reformation. And so here we have al-Sisi from Egypt and King Salman in Saudi Arabia coming together and opening um, a center to monitor their extremists. I mean, it just couldn't be better and more on schedule. And that the president is supporting that, as weird as it looks, <laughs> I think is a good thing. Uh, but it is funny to go down and see how, you know, how people ran with it and posted stuff out of Star Wars and um, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Marvel Comics. And, you know, it's all fun, all good. Um, as far as Jared going a couple weeks ago to Saudi Arabia uh, and that being nefarious in some way, well, again, anything Jared does is, I mean, poor Jared. I mean, he was a liberal darling once, uh, but oh, how he has fallen. Uh, but, you know, Saudi Arabia is a, is a key uh, uh, ally of the United States. and. I don't think it would be at all surprising if Jared went over there to talk to the uh, prince about what he was going to do. Um, it would be odd if he didn't. And, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jared telegraphed that Trump thought this was uh, just okay with him. And, um, you know, there's Trump wishes he could do this. So this is, you know, what, what I'm happy about is that it is the younger generation. This guy's 32 years old. The younger generation of Saudi Arabia is, appears to be all for it. Um, and they're ready to move forward. The downside is that it appears that this guy may be overreaching and trying to gain too much absolute power in a way that is absolutely corrupting. So we just don't know yet. And we can watch our minds spin into stories. And that's fine, as long as we watch our minds do that and don't believe that. Uh, you know, maybe true, may not. But 
um, you know, we notice our response. So I love these questions. What fun. This is a really fun part of doing this um, live and doing it um, every day. So keep them coming. Again, yeah. Jeff, Jeff at dailyevolver.com. And uh, you can send me either a voicemail or one of those little voice memos. Thanks, folks. Corey. Yeah, my man. What's happening, man? Well, you know, I, oh, you, I, that you last like that, point, yeah, you like that last question. So. Yeah, I do. I really like that last question yeah. um, because, it, you know, I think it's always important to remember that when we're looking at massively complex stories like this that have, uh, again, just implications and consequences that we, we can't see right now. We don't know how this is going to shake out geopolitically, um, you know, for, for the surrounding nations, for the Middle East as a region and for the rest of the world. And there's always this temptation, this, this drive that we have to look at such a massively complicated issue like this and boil it down to, is, was this good or was this bad? And the answer is probably always some hybrid of both. Right. Um, you know, there's there, there's absolutely actually let me stop there for a second, if I may, and just say, uh, I, I think if you look at the whole trajectory of human history, it's more good than bad. Oh, absolutely. Because no, absolutely. We're, we're here living decent lives where we have enough calories and we have, you know, such a thing as the indoors. Yeah. Uh, so I'm balanced. So this actually, I think, gets to, you know, one of the things that we're realizing, even in the last 10 plus years is that we have our emotional reactions first, and then we build our storylines around that. That's right. And there are some people, and I think I'm one of them, I actually have this sense in my bones of this thing's getting better thing. Right. You know, I, I, that, that is, and, 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 and so I, my natural default when something happens is to see, okay, this is evolution moving. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if if I like a couple of my, you know, particularly sorry, uh, 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 sad, liberal friends think the world is going to hell, or even you know fundamentalist people who think that the world is going to hell, then everything that happens is just another you know brick in that wall. That's right. So anyway, yeah, that's yeah. I, th I think you know. Obviously, the long. I think we all agree the long arc of history is you know tends towards increasing goodness, increasing truth and beauty, increasing truth, all of that. Yeah. And yet, you know, those shorter <laughs> arcs can be a little more totally painful, for oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Right and you know, and I, I think that this 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 need that we have again to sort of oversimplify things uh, is, is where a lot of American conspiracy theory comes from, because the most terrifying idea in existence is that no one has, you know, their hands on the entire system, that it really is very chaotic and unpredictable. And, uh, and that's, that's actually more terrifying in a lot of ways than the idea of some. Yeah. There's nobody in charge people. Yeah. You know, right. it's just us. That's right. And, and, you know, and when it comes to the realm of geopolitics, you know, and liberals and conservatives alike are very guilty of this. They, they're always looking for those pat answers, you know, and the liberals will come up and, and criticize Obama and say, you know, how many, how many people did Obama uh, kill through drone strikes? And I agree. On the surface, that sounds absolutely terrible. Right. But I don't have the full data set in front of me to say, OK, how many lives were actually saved? Even even if this drone attack took out 30 civilians who should not have, you know, who should not have perished, how many more people were saved? How, how many more people would have died if exactly. that 
attack hadn't happened. So when we're in the realm of geopolitics, particularly in this region of the world, we have to accept the fact that we are dancing between shades of gray, right? There's, 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 there's never, often no good option. Yeah, yeah. There, there is yeah, exactly. The there's, there's worse, maybe the least terrible option. Maybe yeah, exactly. Lucky. And the only thing you know worse than a drone strike is the way we used to do it. That's right. Where we blowed up the whole building or the, that whole end of town. Yep. And you know, with this with this recent thing with Jared Kushner. So apparently, Jared was was in Saudi Arabia last week. And they were up to, they were, sta- they were awake together up until four in the morning talking, you know, preparing for, this is sort of the new reporting that came out yesterday. And, you know, I'll just say I am 100% open to the idea, to the possibility that the Donald Trump administration helped push Saudi Arabia into this purge, that this purge will ultimately be a good thing for the region, even though I'm very uncertain about Saudi Arabia and Iran and you know, how all those other regions are going to come into play. But I'm open to the fact that this is this is ultimately a good step forward and that it was, you know, largely driven by the Trump administration, in which case this would be a success for the Donald Trump administration. I'm completely 100% open to that yeah. possibility. I, uh, I am too. Yep. Well, as long as he also owns the fallout, right? That's, that's, yeah, always, totally. that's always the issue you know, with our foreign policy. I mean, uh, and... You know, that I have to take Donald Trump seriously is takes effort. Yeah. But does. there you go. It does. And just to, just to close it off with a comment uh, made by Ryan, Ryan Nicade, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Just a fun observe. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me start with Stevens. Uh, I do feel there's a lot more positive movement regarding Trump being president. The boomerang effect. Obamacare is one great example. Uh, plus adversity excuse me, can be a great motivator to waking up. I, I agree with that. I'm not sure Ryan uh, says, Obamacare uh, is a great example, but okay. <laughs> uh, and Ryan says, uh, just a fun observation, but it seems as if Trump embodies a red and orange altitude, yep. blue amber stabilizer, oh, making developmental patterns similar to Russia, as Don Beck says, and the robber barons of the Gilded Age, a volatile tribal capitalist. He's therefore the shadow of both the traditionalists and the green postmodern liberals. Thanks and love you both. We love you too, Ryan. Wow, that was a very good observation. Yep. I really like that. And it reminds me of when I was talking to one of my Russian friends who's quite integrally informed. I met him through the integral uh, movement. And he said exactly this is that, you know, what Russia needs is Russia needs traditionalism. Mm-hmm. Russia needs people who can sit down and shut up. Russia needs people who will stop at a stop sign. Russia needs people who will follow the rules. And that when that's missing, you can have sort of an unstable development on top of it uh, that's always sort of leaking back down to the lower stages. Okay. So right on. Yep. I like that. And, and Jeff, just to circle back to Stephen's example of, of, of Obamacare, I think what he was saying was Obamacare uh, survived and you know, is maybe even arguably thriving. I guess we had a larger enrollment this year than any other year, which is great, despite all efforts to to sort of slow that down. Um, yeah. I think what he's saying was, you know, Obamacare, all of these great things are happening uh, sort of despite Trump, but in a way it's, it's because Trump is so irritating the system that our immune response is actually to strengthen a lot of these institutions. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Trump That's came right. into power criticizing Obamacare, and then once he was in power, Obamacare surged in popularity is is sort of telling here. So in that sense, I agree that Trump is absolutely an evolutionary accelerant. The Lord works in mysterious ways, people. All right. (laughs) Are we complete, perfect, and whole?
I feel complete, perfect, and whole. <laughs> All right. Okay, man. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. And oh, actually, I'm going to be gone the rest of the week because I'm doing the integral living room, but we will have a, a show where um, I've pre recorded a couple things. So uh, still going to be here tomorrow at one and, and, and Thursday as well, and then back live on Monday. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, be sure to tune in also Thursday evening when Greg Thomas is going to give a live presentation about jazz leadership. Uh, That begins at, I believe, 5 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that would be a good precursor to I'm going to have Greg on live here in the Daily Evolver on this coming Monday where we're going to do a Black Integralist Speaks. Nice. Integral solves racism. (laughs) Okay. Bye, folks. Bye, guys.